Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. I think we ought to give God some praise and glory and honor. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for who you are. There's none stronger. There's none greater. Amen. And uh, you can remain. You can return to your seats just for a moment. Thank you all for being here, the Prince of the Lord. And you may be seated as well. It was 2004. I moved from the great state of West Virginia. My wife and I moved here and. And it wasn't long after being here that Cindy gave birth to our first child, Lincoln, who's leading worship today. And um, something came over me as a young parent. There was nothing more that I wanted than for my children to live for God. Not just us, not just for 18 years of my house, but to stay in church forever. And uh, I'll never forget that during this time and and I'd already met their son, Paul Pamer, at an event before I ever moved here, and I'm so impressed. But I saw this family, the Pamer family, was a legacy family. And what that did for me, because the Bible says in this day and time, King James Version would say, woe to them that give suck, meaning woe to them that have small children. In perilous times shall come. There is certainly an attack on our children. Everything from everything from abortions to what's happening in our elementary schools with immorality and what's being pushed on them now is so wicked. How many know that's true? The attack on children. And uh, somehow in the midst of certainly a generation that I live in, I see a family that has flourished, are involved, and, and had the privilege of meeting Brother Nelson Pamer, which is Brother Rod Pamer's father who passed away this past year. And in, uh, I think, was he 92? 92 years old and I had the privilege of knowing him and I'd call him sometimes and he and I both like to sit on the front porch in a rocking chair and we'd talk about that because I'm an old man at heart I think sometimes so I sing those old songs at church but uh, I would talk to him and was so honored to know him and uh, watching this family and to see generationally living for God I have a few goals in life but one of those is I want my family to make it to heaven Why shall a man profit if he gained the whole world and lose his own? I want my kids to make it. I want my kids to make it. Can you say amen? And they have befriended my wife and I and been so honored to allow me to come and preach for them. And Paul is one of my dearest friends. And uh, I want you to know, Bishop Pamer, how much we appreciate you. Sister Nan Pamer, before I ever met you, I was reading your books and uh, about holiness and it inspired me so much as a young preacher and to think that y'all take time to be here with us. They have the goods. I've watched them at a distance and I've known them on a personal level. They love the Lord. They love this apostolic truth, this oneness, Jesus' name, holiness, lifestyle, living, message. We're so glad to have them with us. And he's gonna come and preach and they're gonna minister today and we're so glad to have them with us. Would you stand to your feet and welcome them from Barberton, Ohio man of God we want you to Thank do whatever you. you feel today take your liberty You're very kind of, let, give that mic to my wife I'm going to yes, have to sir. say something yes sir 
Come on, let's give him another hand clap of appreciation. Thank you very much. And we have the greatest respect and honor for this church for many, many years. Uh, probably not too many of you remember uh, Pastor Guy Smith, but he dedicated our first building in Barberton. I think that was in 1956. My wife is the uh, church historian. 1956, he dedicated our first building. He also ordained my father into the ministry. And so we have a long history with this great church. We were dear friends with uh, Brother Ferris and uh, love that family. And we didn't think that, we thought, oh, this church is in trouble. They can't ever, ever surpass Guy Smith and Larry Ferris. And then you found someplace in the hills of West Virginia, this guy named Aaron Bounds. And, and I'll tell you what, it was, what a legacy he is building he and his wife and their lovely children and and we have the highest respect for them i'm gonna allow you to be seated for a moment i always have my wife say something when uh i need her help and i need it this morning so i want her to stand and she's actually the better speaker than i am and uh, uh but i want her to say something this morning thank you praise the lord everyone it's surely a joy to be here today. A few months ago, I began to study the book of Ruth. And then it gets toward the end, and Ruth's whole story is, is kind of a mess. You know, she was not in the household of faith, and she married a backslidden guy, and then they all died, and it was just a mess. But she made her way back to God, and God worked out a miracle in her life. And then at the very end of that book, it begins to talk about the elders rising up and saying, may you be like Leah and Rachel. And that verse just jumped out of the Bible to me. Be like Leah and Rachel. They had so many family problems. They had so much scandal and just stuff after stuff after stuff. But yet the Lord began to talk to me and he, it goes on in that verse to say, they built up the house of God. Those two women in the midst of trouble and broken hearts and mess and just everybody doing wrong, but God used them to build up the house of Israel. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what's happened in your life. When you give your life to God, I'm telling you, he'll turn that mess around and you will be a pillar in the house of God. Oh, I love serving the Lord and we are so glad to be here with y'all today. God bless you. Amen. Let's remain standing. Praise the Lord. So honored to be here and so many of you that I do know over the years, I, I honor you for your faithfulness. That's what I want to talk a little bit about today. Good, glad to see our good friend, uh, Jay Blackshear here, friends with his family as well. And uh, God bless you for being in the house of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're so thankful for the spirit of God that we feel here today, your presence that is in this place. Lord, you have graced, Lord, this sanctuary. 
We pray that our hearts would be open, Lord, that you would anoint us and use us. Help us to see, Lord, the, the value, the privilege, the wonderful joy it is to live for God, to raise our family in the house of God. We thank you for this. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Stephen Johnson wrote a most intriguing book that I read a few years ago, and I got it back out recently. And it's just simply entitled, How We Got to Now. How We Got to Now. What he did, he looked around and he chose six things that are very uh, familiar, familiar with all of us. And he went into the history of how that we came to have these different functions in our life. Things like refrigeration, eyeglasses, clocks, just to name a few. It's really quite a, uh, a scientific book and very interesting. But my reason for mentioning it today is that in the conclusion of the book, he writes that some of these things around us come from different processes. And he specifically names three of them. Number one, he says, some are the result of accidental events that just produced an unexpected discovery. I know that one of those, he doesn't mention it, but one of those is the invention of Velcro. Someone was trying to invent something else and ran across these two uh, materials that just clung to each other, and now we all use Velcro. Just something that came from an accidental e event and it produced an unexpected discovery. But then he went on to say that there are other things that other conveniences that we have that are a result of a remarkable breakthrough just in a momentary discovery that they were pursuing after uh, something that would uh, fit a need or solve a problem and that suddenly someone just found something and it answered the need that they were looking for. But then he said, most developments, most things that we have around us, they are uh, discoveries in our modern world that have come as the result of many years of long periods of time of incremental advances. Things that perhaps even over the centuries, that decades of science has worked and incrementally or bit by bit brought us to a place where we now have these marvelous modern conveniences that we have. We all are familiar with the computer and we think, well, it must have been back in the 70s in the Silicon Valley that, that they discovered. No, not, not at all. It was uh, 200 years ago that the first elements of the computer were beginning to be uh, discovered. And so he says that these three different processes, the accidental finding that produces an unexpected discovery, then secondly, the remarkable breakthrough discovery that allows a drastic and sudden change in our world, and then there's the incremental advance the result of years and long periods of time of scientific experimentation. And as I had read that, 
I started to think that's the way that raising children really, really uh, applies in our lives. There are different ways that our children are raised. Sometimes it's just something that is an accidental finding that, that they meet someone or they, they get involved with a program or perhaps they uh, come into the fellowship of a church and their life is changed in just a moment. We weren't looking for that, but, but it changed one of our children and often for the good, for the better. And then there's sometimes a, an occasion where a family has a problem or they're looking for a need in their family and they they search different organizations and different methods that they can turn their family around and then suddenly there's a breakthrough after long periods of searching there's a, a momentary breakthrough and it makes a difference in their family but in most cases and for most of you today and this is the thing that we need to understand that most of our situations is like that third method of discovery that this author talks about in this book of science. It is the fact that most often raising good families comes after years and years of incremental advance. When we start as a very young child, perhaps even in the cradle, and certainly before they begin to walk, and we begin to instill in their lives different principles and, and truths from the Word of God and from the Christian Judeo uh, society in which we still live. And so it's those incremental uh, processes that change the life of a young boy or a young girl. And that's what we need to understand. Too many families are looking for that momentary unexpected change when a problem has already come. Or they just stumble on something that will turn a life around. But it is incumbent upon each and every one of us. And the word of God would call us to begin those incremental changes and teaching moments Every day, the Bible talks about it, that in the morning and in the evening, that we would instill the word of God in the hearts of our sons and our daughters. And I want to preach about it today, and I want you to understand that there is no day off in parenting. There is no time away from instruction, but we need to be actively involved in imputing in, in the truths of God's word into the hearts of our sons and our daughters. I believe that this is a major problem in our society today, and that is absent parents. And more often than that, absent parenting. There may be parents in the home, but there is no parenting that is going on. My wife is very active in a, uh, a ministry, if I can call it that, that she has started. On Wednesday night, we try to bring community kids into our church, kids that are not associated with our church in any way, no connection, and she uh, uh, finds these kids, and sometimes there are as many as 50 or 60 on a Wednesday night, not often, but occasionally the numbers will swell to that. She's uh, uh, enlisted me as one of the bus drivers, and so uh, I, I get involved a little bit, 
And, and it's alarming to see that almost none of those children, sometimes they're as young as two years old, sometimes 18 or 19 years old. It seems like none of them have two parents in their home. Many of them have no parents in their home. But it's rather an older sibling that is raising the younger ones. Absent parents and absent parenting. They think that uh, their problem, if they face one with their child, their son or their daughter, it will be a sudden discovery that will turn their life around. Or it will be an unexpected uh, thing that will happen in their life that will maybe salvage this son or daughter when the truth of the matter is it should have been incremental parenting all along the way and especially instilling the word of God into people's hearts as children and I know that that is what God would have us to do you know we need to understand that even here this morning as members of this great apostolic church that we must be actively involved in raising our children on a daily basis. I believe that sometimes we get carried away in this busy world as you are busy and I am busy, no matter uh, what your profession might be or your interests might be. And sometimes uh, dealing with our children is kind of becomes lower and lower on the list of priorities. But the Bible says that no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Now, we often think about that passage that Jesus spoke, that that's talking about money or finance or careers or whatever, but it applies to every aspect of our life. And if we are so carried away with the, 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 whatever it is in, in life, that captures your interest, that it takes away from raising our sons and our daughters, then we cannot effectively become uh, the best parent that God would intend us to do. We were talking uh, this morning with uh, Pastor Bounds, and he uh, was talking about some uh, ways that he can best serve this church. And he said that he realized that, you know, I was only this one area, I was only serving about 70% because other things of the church was taking away my emphasis. And so I was only at 70% effectiveness. And sometimes we do that in our family life. They are good things. They are noteworthy things. They are uh, uh, good reasons that take us out of the home. But we are not as effective of father or mother as we should be sometimes good is or good is often the enemy of what's best good is often the enemy of what is best and what is best as in your life as a father as a mother is to make sure that that son or daughter will live for God will receive one of these certificates that we passed out this morning, that they will be buried in the name of Jesus Christ. Praise Lord. They will be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what's the most important thing. Praise the Lord. More than anything else. Praise the Lord. Tonight we have a service about education, and I will talk a little bit more about that aspect of our life. 
I believe in education. My whole family believes in education. But it is secondary to what's most important. And that's more important than my son or my daughter being educated is that they would be saved. That they would live for God. They would be active in the house of God and the things of God. They would love the house of God. Praise the Lord. That's what counts more than anything else. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 78, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your words to the words of my mouth, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers. He commanded our fathers. God commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born. So he's worried about children that aren't even born into this home yet. That they would know the commandments of God. That they might know them which should be born. Who should arise and declare them to their children. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That's God's plan for your life. That you would instill in the hearts of your children the truths of God's word so that they would be saved. Many examples in scripture, we perhaps refer more uh, to that that is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And the writer is, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. What a wonderful resume of this family legacy that the grandmother, mother, and Timothy had this unfeigned faith. That's what I want to be said about the Pamer family. That that unfeigned faith that was in my grandmother and my father is found in me and now is resident in my son and my daughters and their, their children. Praise the Lord. I want that to be said of the Pamer family. It's more important than anything else, greater than a college degree or some great job that someone receives or a political position. Nothing compares to living for God. I was thinking of, and been praying several weeks about uh, this, this service this morning. And... A scripture came to me from Psalm 72, verse 20. And it simply says, very brief, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Now, it's talking about the, the, the psalm in which that is found. And I'm not sure that this is completely what the purpose of writing that scripture was, but it certainly is found in there. I want you just to uh, realize the impact of that statement. 
The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Many of us, as, as was the case in my family, I had a praying grandmother and a praying grandfather. Actually, I had on both sides, but especially my grandma Pamer. I would come into her house and I oftentimes would hear her praying when I opened that front door. I had a key to her house and I'd let myself in. She, in the closing years of her life, lived alone. And I would hear her back in that bedroom. She always prayed at the side of her bed, even during the day. Hear her calling out to God. But there came a day, February the 5th, 1972, when the prayers of Rose Pamer ended. And those prayers that went up for me as I would hear her call my name and hear her call the names of my cousins and my aunts and uncles. And I would hear her pray for that church. There came a day when the prayers of Rose Pamer ended. Now I understand about prayers go up and the effect of them and I believe in all that. But the actual praying of someone ends at the end of their life. And so I would challenge you today that whoever you count on, whoever you call when you're in trouble or you have a need or you have a situation that you need someone to pray for, realize that there may come a day, there may come a day when the prayers of that individual have ended. And are you going to be in the place or are your children going to have the confidence in your walk with God that they can call you and they can call mom or they can call dad or they can call grandma or grandpa and know that a prayer will go through just like one of the old saints of God. The prayers of Guy Smith have ended. There had to be a Larry Ferris that came along and was a man of prayer that impacted this church and he did. But the prayers of Larry Ferris have ended. And now, thank God, we have a man of prayer that believes in, in prayer, in Pastor Aaron Bounds. But I want you to know that you have to learn to pray on your own. You have to count on your relationship with God. Because there might be someone in your life someday that it will be said, the prayers of that individual have ended. I realize the importance and the responsibility that I have to have. My children no longer can call their great-grandma, Pamer, to, to pray for them. That's what we always did. Call grandma, ask her to pray. No matter what it was. You lost something, call grandma and have her, have her pray for it. She'll find it. You're sick, call grandma. Then we had the opportunity to live under the umbrella of protection of my mother and father, we could call them and ask them to pray. But that ended. The prayers of Nelson Pamer ended in October. And I feel the weight and responsibility now that someone has my number that they can call, that I can pray for them. And we need to accept that responsibility and never more importantly than for the children in your home that you are raising. We have to be men and women of prayer. We have to have a relationship with God that our children can look to us 
in times of need or, or problems or situations or they need an answer. We have to be ready to respond because we are people of prayer. I was thinking about the importance of the various aspects of our life and how necessary it is. We live in such a complex world. Very few things are black and white. Everything is just complicated and difficult. You want to uh, make a decision in life, whether it's for your, your vocation or for your children's education. It's, it's not like the, the simple answers that we once had. It's now very difficult to know exactly what to do. We need the guidance of God in our life so that he can give us direction. We don't always know what's around the corner. We don't always understand what the result of a decision will be to, to take this job or to take that uh, position in a dis distant city. We need to have God in our lives to direct us and to give us wisdom and understanding. There's a remarkable parable that is found in the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. Jesus is writing and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. And then this most intriguing verse, John chapter 10, verse 13. Jesus says, the hireling fleeth because. Now, as I read that, it captured my attention. He's told this story, a parable from the master, from the omniscient God. He's told this parable about this hireling. And now we're going to get insight into why he is fleeing. We're going to get an understanding here. What's going on? What is the, the cause of his lack of courage? Why, why does he make this awful decision that goes against his calling, if you will? And Jesus says in verse 13, the hireling fleeth because, and I'm on the edge of my seat, and it says, because he is a hireling. And I'm thinking, that's it? That's all we're going to get? No further understanding or explanation from that? No uh, uh, insight into what's inside his heart? Just simply, the hireling fleeth because he's a hireling. And what Jesus was saying is that our actions and what we do truly reveal who we are. You can, I don't have to visit the prayer room necessarily to see who the people praying are in our church. I can look at their lives. I can look at the people that make awful decisions. We just had a, a family in our church, wonderful family, baptized them, raised them, married them, dedicated the babies. 
They just made an awful decision. And I don't have to wonder why. They must not be praying people. They must not have consulted the word of God. They must not have asked others to pray for their decision, a decision that will harm their family. And it is because people's actions, their choices reveal who they are, where their importance lies. A man does what he does because he is what he is. It's that simple. The hireling fleeth because he's a hireling. I would encourage you that your pattern of prayer and Bible study and gaining truths from the word of God and faithfulness will implant in your life great uh, benefits beyond our understanding and beyond anything that we can imagine. We will see that, that things will be planted in your children that will come decades later. The life choices that they make will be because you were a person of prayer. You were a person of the study of the word of God. You were a person that taught them faithfulness and so that they are faithful. My dad was a very faithful person, faithful in every aspect of his life. He was a faithful tire builder at the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. Never missed work. He was faithful to my mother and to our family in every aspect. I won't take time to amplify that remark. He was faithful to our church in every aspect. He was faithful in prayer and Bible study. He was faithful in his attendance to the house of God. We have a funny little uh, part of our culture, of our church, and, and people laugh at us, but that's okay. We give away Sunday school pins. Now, that's something that was done, you know, 800 years ago in, in churches, but, but we still do it. And you know what? My, my dad was the leader in that. And he took great pride in his perfect attendance. When he died, I, I, happened, I, I brought it here just to show you. When he died, this last one was, I think, it was, was 60 years. He had 60 years of perfect attendance in Sunday school. Now, some churches, perfect attendance means you can't miss more than 10 Sundays a year. That's perfect. No, that's not perfect. Perfect is 52 in most years and occasionally 53 Sundays. You check your calendar. And my dad had perfect attendance. And he would come in on that Sunday and he would be wearing this pin. And he took great pride in it. But that's not, that's not the point I want to make today. The point is, he taught me faithfulness. And yeah, he had, he had 60, I'll, I'll give him that. I have 59. I'm right behind him. I'm right behind him. And my son, my son has, he's uh, 45, dear, something like that. He has, I think, 40 years of perfect attendance. 
Now here's, here's the point. My dad taught me faithfulness. I've tried to teach my son faithfulness. And that is seen not because we wear these silly little ornaments once a year, but it's seen in our life because a man does what he does because he is what he is. And it will show up in your life as well. The aspects of living for God begin to impact our lives and they're compressed together and they protect us and they direct us and they give us wisdom beyond our natural means. That's something that far surpasses anything that you could learn in a, in a textbook or a classroom. You, you are suddenly found with this this wisdom on what direction to take, and what decision to make, and what advice to give your children if you are faithful to the things of God, faithful in your prayer life, faithful in your faithfulness to the house of God, faithful in the study of the word of God, faithful in honoring your pastor and the leadership of this church, faithful in the, the Bible principles that the word of God gives us. God will give you unnatural wisdom and direction in your life. A remarkable story uh, takes place in the book of Genesis. It involves one of our great heroes of faith, Abraham, but it's really not about Abraham uh, as far as the lesson is concerned. But it comes from a most interesting passage that I want to uh, finish today uh, this lesson with. It involves something that is most unique. You know, there was, there was a something that was really unusual in the Old Testament. Many things were unusual. But this, this one thing, I'm, scholars really don't even understand it. And what it is, is that it is something that is only mentioned seven times in Scripture. And it's called the Urim and the Thummim. It's even fun to say that. The Urim and the... Say that. Urim and the Thummim. And they don't really know exactly what it was. They're not even sure because the Bible doesn't clearly tell us what it was. But from just what they can understand, they believe that it was probably most likely two stones of some sort that were actually worn in the pockets of the high priest's garment. And in fact, that garment in some translations, in, in the King James is called the, the, the garment of the breastplate of judgment, but in some translations of the Bible, they call it uh, the breastplate of direction or decision. Because the priests, from what we can tell, would take those two stones and they would, they would take them out of that breastplate of decision when there came a difficult decision to be made for Israel. It's really an unusual aspect of the Old Testament. God 
usually didn't operate like that. That's not the way he did. There wasn't a lot of uh, hocus pocus or things behind the scene in the Old Testament like that. God was very straightforward and very clear in what he did and very open in what he did. But this was something that was quite different. And so those, when, when there would come a time when, when there was a decision to be made, sometimes it was uh, in, in a matter of warfare or in the dividing of property or in guilt or innocence in someone's life, that high priest could take those stones out of his garment of decision and he would somehow use those to consult God. Now, I, there wasn't any power in itself in the stone, but it, it served as some type of a connection to God. I, I don't understand it, but neither do the Bible scholars. They just know that they were there. I can give you the scripture references. And it's so neat to, 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 to read about it that there would be something that would give those high priests. Wouldn't that be great? You know, Johnny comes in and says, Mom, can I miss Sunday school on Saturday? Just a minute, let me get the stones of decision. You grab the stones out of, of Dad's suit coat and you say, you know what? No, you can't do it. The decisions say no. What should I, what should I, should I buy this car uh, that, that's a Ford or should I buy a Chevy? Just a minute, let me get the stones of decision. I'm going to get them out. You consult them. No, that's the one you want to buy right there. You thought it was Carfax that you, that you acknowledged. No, no, it's the stones of decision tell you, tell you what to do. Wouldn't that be great? That would be, that would be exciting to, to, to take the weight off of us. And to know that every time you're consulting directly with God because you have the stones of decision that you pulled out of the breastplate of direction or decision. That would be, that would, I think that would be awesome. As a, as a pastor, a pastor, I'd just leave them right on the edge of my desk. And when someone came in, I'd say, sit down, I can give you the answer that you're looking for. And I assure you that it's right. That was in the Old Testament times. We don't know what happened to them. We don't know when they were lost or, or taken by uh, an army. We don't understand. They're, it's just seven times in seven verses we find them. But the thing that's really intriguing to me comes from this story of Abraham and Abimelech. It's found in Genesis chapter 20. And I'll just briefly go over the story here as I close this morning. Abraham, great man of faith, he had come to Gerar, and the king of Gerar was a man by the name of Abimelech. Now, Abraham had actually married his half-sister. And when Abimelech saw Sarah, he was taken by her beauty, and he decided he wanted to inquire who this was. And Abraham said, well, she's my sister. Because Abraham was afraid that Abimelech, if he really wanted Sarah as his wife, would take his life and he would lose his life. And so he said, she's my sister. And so Abimelech takes her. 
Now, there was uh, uh, nothing beyond that that was uh, done in their relationship. But he takes her into his own house. And God wakes him up in the middle of the night. God came to Abimelech in a dream and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for the woman which you have taken is another man's wife. I want you to know that would wake you up out of sleep if God comes to you. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 20, verse 5, Did not Abraham say unto me, she is my sister? Abimelech's talking to God. Abraham said, she's my sister. And she even, even herself said, he is my brother. Now listen to this. He says, in the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands have I done this. He said, Abimelech says to God, I did this in the integrity of my heart. Verse 6, and God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. And so Abimelech's defense is that I did this in the integrity of my heart. Now here's the lesson as we close. As I studied that word integrity, in the Hebrew language, it's the same word as Urim and Thummim. It's the same word. Now, Abimelech, he was not an Israelite. He didn't have the Urim and the Thummim. But he had integrity. And as a result of that, he knew to make the right decision and the right choice. And it saved his life as he chose the right thing. Now, we don't have Urim and Thummim today that we can access, but we have integrity. Integrity comes from the things I've been talking about today. Integrity comes from prayer, Bible study, faithfulness to the things of God. We can gain that integrity in our lives so that when we are faced with a choice or decision, that we know what to do. We don't even know how we knew, but we just knew. You know, that, that, that's the way that I've seen that happen in my life. That, that sometimes I, I, I don't even know what choice to make, but God gives me direction. I hadn't prayed about it. I hadn't studied about it. I hadn't called Pastor Bounds. What do you think? I didn't, didn't have time to do any of that. But it was because of the integrity and the innocency of my heart that God gives me direction and wisdom on which choice to make. And that's available to each and every one of us. And we need that in this 2022 world that we live in. When we are raising our sons and our daughters and we, we don't always know what to do. If we have that integrity that comes from prayer, Bible study, faithfulness to the house of God, Worshiping in the spirit. When we build that integrity in our lives, God will give us the answers that we need to raise our families. Let's all stand.
It's not something that only the pastor can have, this integrity that I speak of. It's not something that a Bible school graduate gets on their diploma. But it's something that each and every one of us can have active in our lives through prayer, applying the principles of God's word, faithfulness to the house of God. You can have that integrity that's so important in raising your children. I would not want to raise children in this world without the hand of God in my life, without believing that God is going to give me direction. I wouldn't want to be uh, married without knowing that God is going to be a part of that union, that God is going to help us and direct us as we make the right choices, life choices that are so demanding each and every day. I'm going to ask you to come around the altar this morning and I want you to, I want everybody here to, to take one of these stones. Not as there's anything unusual about them, but as a reminder of the Urim and the Thummim and how that that was found, the same word was used by Abimelech and God recognized it in his life. I want you to take that, I want you to keep that with you. Now, if you don't pray, it's, it's just gonna be a stone in your pocket, I'll tell you right now. But if it serves as what they call a mnemonic, they, if it serves as a reminder that I need to pray today. I need to be, I, it's, oh, it's Wednesday night. I need to be faithful to the house of God. It's Wednesday night. Oh, it's Sunday morning. Oh, I, I can't, I'm not, I'm sorry. I can't be in that golf league on Sunday. I've got church on Sunday morning. I can't go fishing this Sunday. I've, I've got church on Sunday. Now you think, does that decision impact my family? It will. Because you're building integrity in your life. So that when you make those hard choices and decisions, God will give you direction and will protect you. He will protect just as he protected Abimelech. Abimelech wasn't even a, a godly man. But because he had integrity in his life, I believe that he honored the Israelites and he honored Abraham and God gave him a reprieval from certain judgment. I believe that if we live for God, God will guide our lives and direct our steps. Let's pray right now that God would help us. Would you raise your hands and your voice right now? Let's pray that the mighty God would come down. Lord, and direct our steps. Lord, I pray that you would renew. God, that you would set on fire a desire in our hearts. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.